Welcome to season four of the Highway to Higher End. We have some fantastic guests lined up for this season that I'm excited to share with you, speaking on a host of topics from financial aid to career consulting. But first, we'll begin with the placement of kids who have been homeschooled or part of non-traditional homeschooling programs. I'm pleased to introduce you today to a veteran in the field, both in her own experience as a parent and as a professional consultant, Michelle Evard. Michelle is a lifelong learner who has earned degrees from a variety of post-secondary institutions. Her PhD is from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, where she was a member of Seymour Papert's Epistemology and Learning Group. Her MS in Computer Science is from the University of Oregon. She has a BS in Mathematics and a BA in Computer Science from Andrews University. She spent a year of college abroad in France and earned her Alliance Francaise. Each of these schools provided a different environment and opportunity, and Michelle learned from experience in each of them. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I wanted to hear about your background. Could you sort of share a little bit about what got you into college consulting? Certainly. I'm afraid it's a bit of a long story. I've always been interested in learning and working with teenagers in particular. And after homeschooling my own kids, I realized I'd been helping a lot of other people along the way as well, and that there was a formal route to do that through educational consulting. And I was able to uh, join IECA, the Independent Educational Consultants Association, and have a whole network of people who are focused on helping teens find their next steps. Right, which is where we met too, right? Very recent conference. And we were actually talking about this the other day too. I think it was sort of your experience with your daughter and getting her into school. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about that. Sure. Actually, all three of my kids homeschooled after I did my graduate work and then we had children. decided we needed to figure out how they best learned and what would be the best environment for each of them as time went on. And we homeschooled starting from the beginning. I mean, parents are always helping their kids learn, right? Try. Continue. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Try to stop them. The kids learn no matter what you do, right? They're naturally curious and they want to learn. So we help them. We provide the environment for them. We model for them. We mentor them. That's part of parenting. So it was a natural next step to be homeschooling for elementary school. And with each of our children, we gave them choices as they went on. We helped them control their own education and their own learning. One of my kids, one of my daughters, did choose to do public high school and then boarding school. But the other two homeschooled all the way through the end of high school at which point I needed to produce all the documentation. Of course, you keep records along the way, but I needed to play a much larger role in the college application process than a parent does if their kid is in the traditional school. What makes your consulting practice unique? How would you kind of describe its core mission beyond the surface goal of placing kids in college, obviously? Of course, college or whatever their next steps are, because not all kids choose to go to college, but They all deserve having their education documented in a way that enables them to do their next steps. So part of it is my educational background, my own choice and the schools that I went to, but my focus on learning all the way through. Even when I was studying computer science and math, I was looking at how people learn and helping other people learn. What do you mean by learning all the way through? I was a very self-motivated learner. I did school. You know, I was good at, at 
school, I enjoyed the tests as a a puzzle, a, a challenge to myself. But I was also learning outside of school all the time and helping other students learn. One of my most inspiring math teachers in high school knew that I was catching on to the concepts very quickly and allowed me, even while he was teaching, to get up in class and go talk to another student if I saw that they were struggling. And I would say, you know, what's going on? And they would, oh, I just, I don't get what he's saying about this. And so then I would present it in a different way, just whispering quietly, not bothering anybody. The teacher allowed this. And seeing the light go on in someone's eyes when you say something just a little bit differently, you know, teachers are wonderful. They try their best, but they have a full classroom. And not everybody understands things in the same way at the same moment. So just that little word sometimes can help a student, you know, just light up. So you asked what makes my practice unique, and part of it is that yeah, part of it is that history, but part of it is that as somebody who homeschooled all along, you know, I have the connection to other parents. I understand what they're going through in a way that somebody who hasn't homeschooled can't. Right. Also, I had three kids who all had very different experiences, and I helped found one co-op, and then after we moved, I joined another co-op and helped run that. So I was always looking at more children than just mine, mentoring other children as well, and parents. So that experience over 20 years, helping others and, and watching this has given me a depth that is unique in most of the educational consulting. But also, most educational consultants, college consultants, help students find a college that fits them, suits their needs, not only geographically and financially, but educationally because there's a wide range of what colleges provide, and then helps them present themselves in an honest way that can help match with the right kind of college. I also will help students and parents earlier in the process to design their homeschooling education. So we will talk about how you learn, what you learn, what your opportunities are, and I can give ideas to parents on what they can provide to their student. I was talking to a 15-year-old recently, And one question I asked him is, you know, for different subjects, how do you like to learn? Do you like to learn alone? Do you like to learn in a small group? Do you like to learn one-on-one? What do you think is best? One question I asked him was, do you need deadlines? Do you prefer self-paced or paced by someone else? And he said, hmm, he said, I'd I'd like to think that I could do this self-paced, but in reality, I need deadlines that somebody else sets for this. So designing their high school education. But there are different colleges that do things very differently. So you think of the traditional, there's general ed requirements, and then there's requirements for your major, right? There's also colleges with distribution requirements. So instead of saying you have to have English 101, they'll say you have to have some class that has writing. And then there's colleges that let you design your own major and design your own classes even. So what kinds of educational profiles do you see in your practice? What type of kids? There's a wide range. There are kids who've been homeschooled from birth, as mine were. There are kids who had some experience while in school that caused them to pull out or be pulled out of school. It can be a health reason. It can be an educational mismatch. There can be bullying. Well, there have been a lot during the pandemic, actually, of families who've said, oh, that's not working for my kid. What else can I provide? 
So I've worked with students who've done traditional school through their sophomore year and homeschool for their junior and senior year recently and apply to college as a homeschooler. So there's a wide range. There's also students who've come out physical health things, but also mental health. Just depends on the situation and what the family finds best at the moment. I mean, perhaps a fairly obvious answer. I mean, as far as the pandemic, I'm sure that has sort of popped the clientele that you're seeing that are sort of were drawn from school or continued homeschooling. What sort of impact have you seen the pandemic have on your clientele? There's definitely parents who had never considered homeschooling or never thought that they would be able to homeschool who are now doing it because they saw something, especially in spring of 2020, that made them realize that this would be a better choice for their student. I encourage parents to realize when their child was one, two, three, how were they learning, right? What was the parent role at that point? It can be challenging to feel like what you do with your child is going to be judged and what you do impacts what they can do next, right? And this is getting at one of the core reasons that I actually started this business was to help parents get through and realize I can do this in in a way and I can document what my student did in a way that college admissions officers can read and understand because there is that moment of I chose something and now it impacts my child, right? And it can happen on a daily basis when you start, and it can happen at the end of the year if you're doing an end-of-year report, and it can happen when they apply to college. Right. Well, and it's such an evolution, too. With me, I was facing an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. It's like, okay, what's something that can appeal to both? Uh, Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I would beg to differ. I bet there were a lot of things you could do. In our homeschool co-op, I remember that we called them study groups, these activities that we would do week after week with the students and, and same kids would sign up for each one. One was called Donuts. And every other week, half of the kids were making clay right? It's making some kind of Play-Doh, some kind of, and playing with it. And the alternative weeks, they were baking muffins or donuts or something. So they were learning in a very fun context, but you can have a wider age range do something like that, right? Just like when it's time for dinner, you're cooking or you're baking cookies, right? And if you want to look at baking cookies, for example, let's talk about fractions. Kids learning fractions on a page, right? And do you want to double the recipe? You're going to multiply. We don't think of it like that, but that's real contextual learning. And a kid who has multiplied fractions by doubling a recipe for cookies, they get it in a way that a kid who is on paper doing just, you know, multiplying fractions won't necessarily understand. Right. Wow. I wish I had talked to you about two years ago. (laughs) <laughs> the the other thing is I have to address really briefly this. There is a stereotype about homeschooling where it's mom or dad sitting at the kitchen table with the kids and the worksheets and the textbooks. That's not what you have to do. That is one way to do it. We often call it school at home, which is completely valid if it works for your family, but it's not necessary. There are a lot of ways to learn and to homeschool. And those times baking and cooking that counts. Could you maybe describe kind of the prototypical student that you encounter in your practice, kind of like the case study that's average sort of composite of everything that you see? The one thing that homeschoolers have in common, the one thing 
is that they've all bucked the system. For some reason, they've said, this system does not work for me at this point. So in reality, I don't have a prototypical student. Some have homeschooled all along, some haven't. A lot of the kids I work with, I will say, are gifted academically. Partly that's because of the homeschool group that I came out of. Often 2E, yep, anxiety, ADHD, autism spectrum. There are a lot of aspects, definitely. Sometimes diagnosed, sometimes suspected, but not diagnosed. One thing is when you are in school, some of the things that you can learn coping mechanisms for naturally if you're at home come to light in a way that's disruptive in the classroom. And so you might get diagnosed early. You may also not. I know students who were diagnosed with ADHD in college, for example. I know adults who were diagnosed with autism in their 30s or 40s. We can learn coping mechanisms, but they don't always do everything that we need. And sometimes the diagnosis is really helpful because you get more tools. Right, totally. Do you notice a sort of typical social challenges with kids who have been homeschooled? And if so, you know, what are some ways that parents who maybe are considering homeschooling or have done it can kind of provide the socialization that a kid would have in school that they don't? The social question is always a big one. Experienced homeschoolers will tell you, yeah, there's a social problem. We have too much time with other people and we need to do some concentration time occasionally because we don't homeschool in a vacuum. You can, I suppose. I don't recommend it. It's not what I see or push. I wasn't looking for an echo chamber or an isolation chamber for my kids. I was looking for them to gain a broad experience and get to know a lot of people. One day, my daughter had made a book of some photos. She was five at the time. She'd made a book of photos and wanted to bring it to the homeschool co-op to show a friend. Great. She went beeline to another mom. This is who she wanted to show because she had relationships with people of all ages. That's what I see in most homeschoolers is that they are used to talking to people of all ages. We set our kids up, we connect them with mentors, we connect with each other. So when the homeschooler gets to college, they don't have a problem going to the professor and saying, hey, I noticed this. I will say, and I recommend this to parents who've always homeschooled, when your student first is in a classroom environment, whether it's a dual enrollment class at the community college at age 14 or 16, whether it's going away to college, is do talk about the typical way things work. You know, I've suggested to a student, I wouldn't raise my hand and ask the teacher in front of everybody, when are you going to assign that thing that was in the syllabus? Go in the hall after class and talk to them. I noticed this was in the syllabus. Are we going to have that assignment? Right. right? You don't right. want to set yourself up. Etiquette. Yeah. Understanding some of the social dynamics, but it doesn't take long to communicate that. I did a You Gotta Know study group. And one thing that we did is I brought the standard form, a bubble sheet for, you know, with standardized tests. You have to fill in your name. You have to fill in your birthday. If you've never done that, the first time you do it, it's like, wait, what? What? My name's a little too long. What do I do, right? You don't want to ask that in front of a hundred other kids waiting to take the SAT. Right. And then you're nervous and like, you know, anxious from the very start. And it sets you a little bit on edge. Yeah. Right. So talk about those things in advance. But no, I, I don't see a big challenge for those kids. I see students who can advocate for themselves, students who do reach out to professors or TAs, to administrators in appropriate ways because they are used to communicating with people of all ages. Right. 
totally. And it sounds like you had a bit of a pod thing on there. Yeah, this this pod term is a, is relatively new. I would say we weren't limited to pods as we talk about in the pandemic where you get three families and you do everything together and nobody else is in the bubble. But yeah, Homeschool Cooperative, we had between 80 and 100 families in our co-op. Oh my Some God. people went on. Well, okay. But it, yes, but like Monday co-op would be around 20 to 25 families. Tuesday co-op around 20 to 25. So you'd, you'd alternate which day you go. You sign up for a particular day. And Every week, you were with those same people. So your study groups, your activities were, were planned, and the kids could develop deep friendships. Some co-ops are smaller. Was this a combined classroom kind of format where you have multiple grades? And- oh, yeah, that was all ages. One particular day in the Voyagers co-op in Massachusetts, Thursdays were typically where most of the teenagers were. That was more the high school academic level days. But our study groups ranged from... Typical academics. I mean, somebody did teach calculus at one point. Latin was common, but also there was making chain mail and knitting chain mail. What's, yeah, they've got a lot in common, right? Working with your hands. There was stunt fighting. We had a, a karate teacher who came in and did stunt fighting with the kids. I did critical thinking through current events. So we were talking, bringing in the news. So, I mean, what would be the difference? I mean, maybe we can highlight some of the differences between that and, say, um, the Montessori school that my kids go to, where they do have all those sort of outdoor, like my daughter, for, for instance, like went out in the woods and built like a survival shelter or yurt or whatever the heck it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what, that's what they do with their time, so it's sort of project-oriented and combined classroom. Yeah, maybe just talk, what's, what's the difference? Sure. It actually has a lot in common, but... When I say co-op, in this particular instance, the parents were there, right? And it's kids of all ages. So you do something based on your interest and your ability. One of the other parents there liked to talk about Latin. It was typically, you know, 10 to 14, 16-year-olds learning Latin. There was a six-year-old who really wanted to learn, but now socially might not be ready, right? But this kid was so interested Dad came in and the daughter sat on his knee. And so he was there to help provide the scaffolding for her, right? The social ability to do it because she was ready intellectually and interested intellectually. So depending on the structure of the co-op or the group, it can be very, very different or it can have a lot in common. Now, are these co-ops that you could find anywhere? Well, that's a good question. There are co-ops in a lot of different places, but we also have, over the last 20 years, found more places providing opportunities to homeschoolers. For example, there's a local gym. It does gymnastics training, you know, kids who go and compete, and it also has birthday parties. But what does it do during the school day? It was pretty empty, right? So a homeschooling parent contacted them, this is like 20 years ago, contacted them and said, hey, could you do a program for us homeschoolers? So on Wednesday mornings, they would open up and they'd have their regular gymnastics coaches come in and homeschoolers could do it, right? But we had arranged it originally, some particular homeschoolers. And then once they saw that was an opportunity, they opened it up as the gym opened it up, as opposed to homeschoolers borrowing it. Same thing happened with the MFA in Boston. A group of us were saying, hey, can we have field trips is how they fit us. We would meet with a docent. He got to know our kids. We did some awesome things. It was so popular that now the MFA has on Fridays, homeschool days. 
and anybody can sign up. So this is a different thing because when we were doing it with six other families, we always knew who would be there, right? So the kids knew each other. We knew that the artist and resident, he knew what we all knew. And now it's anybody can sign up, which is amazing and wonderful. You don't know who's going to be there because it's every Friday instead of once a month. You may choose to go the first Friday and I choose to go the second Friday. So because there are all these opportunities now, there may be fewer of the co-ops where parents are there for six hours a day, right? And it depends on who you are and what other work you do, if you can do that. That really requires a lot of engagement on the parents' part. You would have to be looking for these things constantly and then obviously going and engaging and potentially giving lessons and having kids on your knees. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, well, and, and it depends. But it's got to be rewarding at the same time. I mean, that feeling of like, damn it, I'm missing my kids, like childhood, like just doesn't exist if you take that approach. But you'd have to have the type of career where you'd be able to do that. Exactly. So homeschooling takes commitment. It takes planning and record keeping, right? So there are a lot of different ways to do this. I think I've got a blog post up about how you can homeschool even if both parents are working, right? It does require some split shift or some you take off Wednesdays, I take off Thursdays, your wife takes off Fridays, my husband takes off Mondays, and we trade the kids back and forth, right? So one way to do a co-op is that there's a parent and children there every time and we all do the same day. Another way to do it is in helping provide childcare for one another. One interesting thing that stuck out from the first segment with Michelle was exploring that homeschooling format. I had never really done that before myself, but I think there's certainly some value in doing that, and particularly from an intellectual standpoint. The fact that the intellectual exploration is merged so closely with the contextual She mentioned in particular a baking recipe where you have to double the recipe and that turns into sort of a lesson in multiplication. I find that interesting in that your schooling and really your home life are merged into one, which certainly multiplies, I would say, the impact of the educational experience in surprising ways. You know, you certainly can't undervalue that sort of added time because you have all of this transition, I guess, between your high school life and your home life, this compartmentalization that has to happen. And even when you're adding in sports and extracurriculars and transportation and that transition time, you lose, I would say, a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of energy sort of expanded, just like converting energy from one form to the other. So that certainly intrigued me. And I think a big part of the explanation why these kids end up so highly advanced in their fields by the time they hit the college application process. Another thing that struck me was this concept of basically being a high school and of yourself when you are a homeschool parent, which at the end of the day, I took to be sort of somewhat easier and more difficult than it looks simultaneously, if that makes any sense at all. It's easier in that, well, if it's only really about writing up the courses, right, and then making that part of everyday life, and then, of course, turning it into sort of a student-led enterprise, that's really sort of the key in making them sort of the agent of their own education. Well, that sounds like a piece of cake. (laughs) You're putting the keys in the kid's hand there. However, when it does come to doing the write-ups, 
and talking about the philosophy of the teaching and also scheduling events with, I would call them pods. She didn't care for that term in particular, but other families, other homeschool families and collaboratives, I guess is a better term for it. Those seem difficult for me, at least being, I guess, part introvert to arrange and organize. It certainly would take some effort, I would think, in thinking about what the kid's getting, what they're not getting, what they're being exposed to, what they're not being exposed to. And then after all of that, writing that down, recording it and reporting it to colleges, that sounds like a huge challenge to me. One final point that stuck out to me was the fact that she had experienced this family co-op. I think she mentioned the number of something in the vicinity of 100 families. I wouldn't know how to tap into a network of 100 families if I even put my mind to it. Perhaps there are networks, databases, online you know, forums, that sort of thing. Perhaps I'm just socially inept, but that would sound like a huge challenge to me. To get those critical educational experiences, I think that really are the bedrock of homeschool. So that would be my one hesitation, I guess, in doing that for my own kids, even though I see tremendous value in other elements of it. How does the process of applying to colleges different for kids with those alternative educational profiles or alternative tracks, really? I mean, ones that have been homeschooled or part or all of their education. You know, what are the challenges involved with well, first, for the student, if, if we take the Common App, right, the actual application process is almost identical, but they may have an extra writing supplement that says, why did you homeschool? Or what did homeschooling look like to you? Right. So a little bit of the philosophy or the mechanism, depending on how it's phrased. So that that's for the student, right? For the parent, as we said before, there's no counselor. There's no school counselor for the student. The school counselor actually does quite a bit when it comes to the college application process, and the parent is the school counselor. So there is obviously making the transcript, figuring out what grades to give your kid. Hopefully you're doing that all along and keeping your records. Got to be pretty arbitrary, I would think. Not as arbitrary as you might think. I mean, does anyone fail their own kid? (laughs) You know, like, ah, unacceptable. Like you're going to have to retake that class. <laughs> so, so we're going we're to take another sidebar here when it comes to grades. Yeah. Some parents are like, well, how could I ever give more than a C? C is meets expectations and I expect my kid do their best. I'm like, oh, okay. Yikes. Let's talk about that. Let's talk. <laughs> yes. I expect my kids to do their best, but that's not how we're grading, right? If your philosophy of learning is there is this material and we're going to give you this test in this amount of time, you have to learn it. And this amount of time you have to take the test. Then whatever percentage you get gets translated to a grade. Okay. You can do that if you want. The other way of looking at it is mastery based. The idea is you need to learn algebra. I don't care if it takes you one month or 12 months. You need to learn algebra, right? Now, by the time a kid is at algebra, my goal, my hope is that they're like, I need to learn algebra, as opposed to mom or dad saying, you need to learn algebra. When you're homeschooling elementary school, there's a lot more flexibility. There's a lot. Well, they don't get grades in traditional schools in elementary. You don't, you don't need to. Yeah, some schools, sure, but you don't have to, right? And we all know that in traditional school, there's a lot of repetition because kids lose things over the summer, right? Maybe they weren't ready to learn it, whatever it is. We have this built-in system. When it comes to high school, not so much, right? We need to figure out what the end goal is 
A lot of parents say, I want to keep the doors open. I don't know if they're going to want to go for an apprenticeship or a college or, you know, a really competitive college. I don't know what they want. So I want to keep the doors open. So then we talk, and this is what I talk with parents and students about. This is what is typical for your area, what students take in high school, right? And this is what the kind of college you might want to go to is looking for, right? If you're going to apply, you want to go to an engineering school. How do you get to calculus in high school so that that's on your application for college? But the kid is in high school is more able to say, okay, I see that end goal and I see what I need to do to get there. I want to do that, right? If it was pushing my kids, okay, you've got to do this assignment today and this assignment today for high school. Are you kidding me? No, thank you. Yeah. I'm not interested. I think that is the traditional experience for a lot of high schoolers being pushed into things that they don't want to do. I think that's probably the appeal of homeschool, I would think. It means something different if you're choosing it because it's part of your goal than if it's just something that you're assigned to do. Yeah, of course. I mean, any teacher can tell you that. Just circling back around to the process, though, a little bit. So the parent has to act as the counselor and fill out a lot. Yeah, the parent makes the transcript, but along with the transcript, you can't just say algebra, geometry, American history. You need to provide course descriptions. So if you go onto your local high school's website, they may actually have this where you can read their program of studies or their course catalog, whatever it's called. They describe in brief what's covered in this English class. You also have state standards you can look at. So when I'm coaching a parent, I'm talking about, let's look at what those are. Let's look at what you've done or will plan to do, right? And let's see how you fit into those standards and how you compare to those standards. For my own children, we did civil rights movement and women's rights movements as part of our American history, right? That's not a typical thing. One of my kids took biochemistry as a freshman in high school. Again, not typical. So when you're doing something out of the ordinary, it takes a little more explanation, right? You just have to document it. What textbook were you using? What kind of assignments were they doing? Were they doing labs? So the parent documents that. You also do the school profile, Sometimes they'll ask for your philosophy of homeschooling. They ask, did your student ever learn in a group? What kind of social interactions did they have? You know, can they turn in assignments? Because the college wants to know, what is this person going to be like on our campus? That's what they want to know with all students, right? But it's the parent's job to help communicate that. And the counselor recommendation. School counselors write recommendations for their students. So do the parents. Now, what sort of support do you provide to a family like this, though? Because it seems like they would need some guidance. This is not something they, you know, that is obvious. So it depends on, on when a family starts with me. If a lot want to know in about eighth grade, it's like, ooh, how do I homeschool high school? But students who pull out, it different. People reach me at different points. But I will help with the planning. I'll help figure out how to document. I'll help them understand You can be an unschooler, you can be school at home, you can be taking dual enrollment, but how does this map onto what a college is going to expect to see, right? Let's make sure you get, okay, you want to go to UMass? Let's make sure you've got four years of math, whatever that looks like. Some students have done multivariable calculus as early as their freshman year in high school. Now what do we do? How do we do four years of math in high school, right? So we talk about that. Maybe you do some statistics, maybe you do logic, maybe you do linear algebra and continue on with advanced math. It depends on the student and their goals. So we talk about that. We talk about 
like I said earlier, we talk about how does a student learn? What's the best way for them? A lot of students are advanced in some areas and not as much in others, right? You're not in lockstep because you don't have to be. So maybe you've done a lot of writing, but not a lot of math. Maybe you've done a lot of math, but not a lot of lab science. So how do we put together the whole package? So I helped do the planning and the documenting, helping write those course descriptions in a way that the colleges understand. And I can give some guidance on how you put together that counselor recommendation, what should be in it. And I will read drafts and comment on them because you know the, the understanding how somebody else interprets what you've written is really important. So it seems like it would be better to get you earlier in the process here, I would think, because I mean, if you're trying to do this retroactively, it's going to be a lot more work. So it's like, say you're in the junior or even senior year, then you have to go back to like all the way back to when you started. Say you started with a family who's entering ninth grade. What would that look like exactly? How often would you meet with them and talk to them? Or do you packages that you do or what? I do have packages, but I'm also, that's just one of the questions I have for myself right now on it, to be honest, because each family is so different. I haven't wanted to lock everybody into a system. Everybody is bucked a system, right? So one package I have for somebody new to homeschooling has to do with planning and mentoring. So I will help you. I will read the past records of the student, any educational testing, 504, IEP, any of that kind of documentation. I'll talk to the parent about their goals, their limitations and restrictions, their hopes, what they would like to see happen. And then I'll talk to the student about what their goals are. What do they love? What do they like? Oh, I don't really like to do that, but okay, if I have to, to get to whatever my next step is, I'll do it. Right. And then we draft a plan and it may be a, okay, you do this self-paced online math, and then you do work with a tutor one-on-one -on -one for English to get you up to where you want to be. And maybe you take a lab science with a co-op or a community college. So we put all that together, figuring out what is the right balance because you still want balance. A lot of us, my son used to say, I'm learning all the time. And you are, but we don't want to assign our kids 16 hours of academic education per day. And nothing else. Exactly. Splitting out, especially for what we call an unschooler or for somebody who practices childhood learning, splitting out what is on the transcript and what is extracurricular can be challenging, right? So that's something that I'll, if, if a parent comes to me late in the process, and I have had one of my first clients, her child was a senior in high school, and he had said he had wanted to do a gap year. And then he was talking to all his friends and it's like, you know what, I want to apply to college in December of his senior year. So she had to take and document his unschooling. That's the last right? stop right there. <laughs> that, that was pretty fast. That was, Hey, and it worked. He was ready at that time. She worked on it. He worked on it. We pulled it together. I mean, January 1st deadlines, right? Definitely. Regular decision, January 1st deadline, January 15th deadline. Also rolling admissions. There are over 3,000 colleges there are a lot of options, but he was going for January 1st and we made it. We did. I do not recommend it. I'd request not to do that. That's one of those. It makes makes for know, an interesting Christmas, I imagine. <laughs> it's, it's an emergency situation. But parents who have homeschooled, when they're doing elementary school, I'll say, you know, when, when I'm talking about record keeping, 
Should you have a list of any books or videos or podcasts or, or YouTube channels the kids have followed? Um, you take pictures. It's natural to take pictures when they're sure. little, right? Yeah, their creation. Of All of those kinds of things are documentation. One thing that stuck out to me in the second segment of our discussion was this concept of student-led learning that occurs very profoundly, it seems like, in homeschooling. She used the example of algebra. Well, a student in homeschool says, I need to learn algebra, and therefore they do it. And when they become the agent of their own education, that takes on a whole different feel than the traditional education system. And I, I think that might be the main difference, really, between those two mediums. But kids are forced into dozens of things that they really just don't want to do every day. You know, when you're talking about the traditional high school experience, really it's an exercise in overcoming things that are quite detestable <laughs> on a routine basis. The very concept of grades really, when put in a sort of more punitive context, which I think they are lazily at times, by teachers that may not be as positive or reaffirming as they possibly could. So I do wonder about that. And when it does become a sort of negative experience, does that hinder a kid's development? It sure seems like it would. I mean, I'm trying to think of my own experience and, you know, would I want to pick up something unfamiliar to me like mountain biking if, you know, I was being forced into doing that and assessed on my ability to be forced into doing it versus saying, I need to do this and I want to give this a legitimate shot. So to me, there's real value in that. But with the challenges of homeschooling, I think I'd prefer to think about that in terms of how can I bring that element of agency to my kids' education in that traditional setting? How can I give them the sort of keys to their own education and selection of the classes they want to take, the extracurriculars? How can I make them the sort of agents of their own destiny in more traditional formats? Another thing that stuck out in the second segment was the parent involvement that is a part of college applications for kids in homeschool. You know, she mentioned that well, you have to write the course descriptions, you have to act as the counselor, you have to give grades, which seems hopelessly arbitrary to me, even if you're a bit more intentional about grading philosophy. She mentioned you have to rotate with a spouse or a collaborative while you only take a certain number of days. I mean, still to do it, Right, seems like it would involve a lot of time and energy. Although, I would say this, even though it might take a lot, at the end of the day, you wouldn't feel like you've abandoned your kids throughout their childhood. I mean, you have a really hard time beating yourself up about that if you were so highly involved in their education all along. Even so, I think it's sort of natural to have regrets about the things that we miss with our kids. I have three kids, so my wife and I always talk about, well, if you're fulfilling the needs of one, you're sort of guiltily leaving behind the needs of the other two, inevitably. So maybe that's just part of the parental experience. I suspect it is. But I think at the end of the day, we all want to feel like we're doing the best that we can for kids. And homeschooling is one avenue to get that done in a profound way. What do you think is the greatest challenge that non-traditionals face in transitioning to college? You know, where do you sort of see them typically struggle? And is there kind of ways to mitigate that for them? This is actually a challenging question because 
where I see them struggle is not as much in the academic realm as in the perception of what stereotypes they have to break. So students who have homeschooled and then go to college often have already been used to advocating for themselves, working with mentors of various ages, talking to people of various ages. So I I don't see them as challenged in that space. But I see some of them going into college saying, I don't really want to say I was homeschooled because there's a stereotype about homeschoolers that might be applied to me. Well, of course. So the same thing that everybody faces, right? We're going from one environment to another and you get to reinvent yourself. You get to present yourself. You realize that how you present yourself will start to establish who you are in that community. And I have seen homeschoolers go, there are so many stereotypes about homeschoolers. I don't want to be, oh, she's the one who homeschooled. Oh, they're the one who homeschooled, right? So fighting that by trying to avoid it is one thing that I have seen. What sort of social challenges do you see kids who have homeschooled have in going to college? Because I know, you know, from what you're saying, basically, that they have great relationships with adults, which makes a whole lot of sense. But I mean, I guess I'm thinking in terms of peers. And are there sort of any life challenges that they typically experience? Or I'd say the, the one I've seen the most is getting used to being immersed in a group of people that are all your age peers. And partly because of the population that I have most commonly worked with, kids who are gifted or are at the very least committed to their academics, any of those kids going to college, whether you're in high school or your traditional high school or homeschool, it's frustrating if you're with a group of partiers, right? If you're with a group of people who are doing something that doesn't fit how you work, that is a concern for anybody. It doesn't have to just be a homeschooler, but I've certainly seen it in kids who are used to dealing with multiple age. You know, they've, they've got friends of all ages and they're all of a sudden, now we're with all 18 year olds and oh my word, how many of these kids are not used to taking responsibility for themselves? They don't understand necessarily how to manage their time, right? And For the homeschooler who has, over time, taken more and more responsibility, they've often learned in a way that's more similar to college than high school. So well, you're suggesting they're at a higher maturity level then in terms of managing themselves than a traditionally educated student? Depending on how the family has structured it, yes. Because that, that, that's part of the thing, right? I have to say, I don't know many parents who want to micromanage their kids' academics all the way through high school. So it's natural to say, okay, right, y- you pick which class you're going to take in history at the community college, or what do you want to lead, or what... Do- so they become more independent. Exactly. Exactly. We are scaffolding them to become adults if you follow that model. If you could give parents of younger students in homeschool one piece of advice what would that advice be and i guess in terms of like maybe middle school or kids who are about to go into high school what advice would you give them one is to trust yourself and trust your children children want to learn right and kids have goals too figuring out what the goals are what the potential is and letting them try lots of different things and see what the steps are on the way to their goal 
it's a wonderful thing. We're watching our children grow up. We're helping them become independent adults. The number one thing I would say eighth grade and up, other than that, would be to keep records. Keep records early. Get a framework. That's what I, I provide people I work with is a framework for, okay, this is what high school needs to cover. Realize you do not have to cover it in lockstep with high school. Your kid wants to do geometry self-paced and do it in two months. Great. And then no math for another couple of months because then they're focusing in on history. Not a problem. You want to do a combination where you're learning two things at once. Cool. You know, why, why have to write a paper about a topic you don't care about when you could write about science or something that really is exciting to you? Let's combine the learning. And that is all legitimate learning. But keeping records really helps when you're putting it all together and demonstrating to someone else the level of rigor that your young person has done. Here are some final thoughts that I took away from my conversation with Michelle. First, I found myself very intrigued by the intellectual possibilities of raising a child in homeschool. If they're into math, being able to accelerate to multivariable or discrete math, you know, freshman, sophomore years, a very young age, I think you could advance very far in, in a number of academic fields and then make up some of those deficits, I guess, in other areas that you have left behind by not engaging in a traditional education by the time you get to college. She mentioned that they tend to be more mature. And by mature, I think she was defining that as their ability to interact with adults and to be responsible about their lives. I suspect that is certainly the case. They've been responsible for their own education all along, and they've had very elaborate relationships with adults founded on trust and mutual respect. So there's enormous value in that, and I can't take away from it. However, I wonder about their ability to relate to their peers. I'm sure that homeschool experts would suggest that, well, there are all sorts of peer interaction, you know, that are part of homeschool and, and what they do with collaboratives and, you know, other social engagements, fine, but they are skipping the traditional educational sort of cooperatives, working in groups, small groups with other people, simple things like waiting in line, like going somewhere when the bell rings, you know, lockers, the crazy social complications that come along with being a part of a high school, compartmentalizing one's life, switching gears between sports and class and extracurriculars with similar sets of groups, navigating cliques, how to deal with peer pressures when there aren't adults around. Those are skills that I think you're just not gonna learn those as much when you're doing homeschool. It's just not part of the equation. Now, whether that's better or worse, I mean, you're using your brain power to study Sartre and biochemistry. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a loss, but it is a deficit that you do tend to notice with kids who have been homeschooled. They're absolutely genius, generally speaking, and very mature, but they do have some deficits in terms of their traditional sort of social understanding, to put that in hopefully kind terms. So that's my sort of ultimate thought about homeschooling. Second, and this may be just for me personally, but the idea of engaging in a collaborative that's outside of school 
essentially acting as a school district in your own way, sort of taking that agency on you sounds intimidating to me. And again, it could be my own social ineptitude, but it does sound difficult to engage with that many people and find the experts in the areas that my kids would like to study and sign up for all the events, etc. I'm sure if we went down that path, I would lean on my wife heavily to do those things, but that's what would scare me off, I guess, about it. The other thing is, it does seem to me to require a lot of time. You know, that would not work for somebody who is in a very heavy-hitting job in the financial sector, for instance, or legal sector, or, you know, they can't take it, you know, one out of five days off, for instance, or every other day, or evenings even. I mean, that's a commitment that I think some parents just are not able or not willing to make. You know, you'd have to be sort of like independently wealthy or have some sort of job where you can do that. You can engage in that sort of schedule. So, you know, that does seem to me to be one major challenge in setting something up like this. But again, at the end of the day, the value intellectually might be worth maybe making those sacrifices and setting up that type of homeschool opportunity for your child.